man looked at his second in command, who was looking at the third in command, who was staring accusingly at the fourth in command. They escaped? The man's voice was brusque. The third in command kicked the fourth in command, who was kneeling on the floor, his forehead actually touching the cold metal. Yes, sir. Everyone in the room knew the high cost of admitting such a thing. They also knew how much worse it would have been if he had lied about it. I beg your forgiveness, sir, but they threw themselves over the edge of the cliff. Our trackers were programmed to follow them, no matter what. They kept attacking, sir, and they went over the cliff as well. But they couldn't fly, could they, Shouso? No, sir, he cringed. Unlike our quarry, who can? Yes, sir. Mr. Chu thought for a moment, though he already knew what he was going to do. The weakest link in the chain always had to be eliminated. The men and women he answered to would expect no less. He again met with the eyes of his second-in-command. The fourth had failed, which was a failure in the third, who had picked and trained him. So it was also the second's failure, since she had picked and trained the third. Ultimately, this was Chu's own failure, for he had picked and trained his second. That was how it would be viewed by the board. They all knew it. Mr. Chu sighed, then motioned to his second command. She gave a quick nod, then barked instructions at the two armed guards by the doorway. The fourth in command cringed and started to beg for mercy, but was immediately silenced. The guards dragged him from the room. Mr. Chu sighed again heavily. If only the girl had joined his force, it would have been glorious. Instead, she had turned into an increasingly intolerable problem. Fortunately, he was holding the final ace. Her mother, Dr. Valencia Martinez. Clasping his hands behind his back, Mr. Chu turned to look out the small, thick portholes in his office wall. He knew the fourth in command solution would take several minutes. Now, the mutants are on a U.S. Navy submarine, Mr. Chu verified, gazing out at the blackness. Yes. There was a world of frustration in that one word. Mr. Chu turned and met the eyes of his second-in-command. Attacking a U.S. submarine, armed with nuclear warheads, would be suicide. Not only for us, but for those we represent. Even on a global level. The second-in-command was torn, but was forced to admit that Mr. Chu was right. Yes, she let the word out. But of course, if something were to happen to the bird people while they were not on the submarine... Mr. Chu let his words trail off, and turned to stare out at the portholes. At this depth, no light filtered down from the surface. One of the armed guards dragged in Dr. Martinez. Ah, Dr. Martinez, Mr. Chu said pleasantly. Thank you for joining me. I wanted you to see this. If the CSM does not curtail its activity, a similar fate awaits you. There was a slight vibration, and Mr. Chu's gaze sharpened. Then, there it was, a rush of bubbles, barely visible, from a torpedo hatch being opened and closed. It was the fourth in command's final solution. A dim, pale object in a blue suit shot out into the blackness and seen to blossom momentarily in the dark water. In the next second, it was crushed and compressed into an unrecognizable blob. At this depth, 
the water pressure was equivalent to several tons of weight per square inch. The fourth in command had probably suffered for less than a second, not even having time to drown before every bone in his body was pulverized. Once again, Mr. Chu and his second in command met eyes. Well, outside the submarine, it's a very dangerous environment. The second, not daring to display the shiver of distaste and fear she felt, nodded. Yes, she said as the pale blob floated away into the dark water. It's very dangerous out there. Chapter 50 I'll be the first to admit that in terms of book learning, we're right up there with, like, sheep and goats. So you won't be stunned to hear how surprised I was to find out that islands don't float on top of the water. You can't go under them, even if you're in a schmancy, expensive submarine. Islands are formed in several different ways, Bridget explained helpfully while I tried not to snarl at her. We were standing around the topographical, read, Lumpy, map of Hawaii and the surrounding ocean. Hawaii was formed by an underground volcano spitting hot magma up from the Earth's core. In fact, scientists believe that one volcano formed all of the islands of Hawaii as the hot interior core rotated beneath the Earth's crust. Right now, the big island is being formed. In 10 million years, there might be yet another island, past the big island. Huh, I said, feeling more trapped than ever. We'd been on the sub for eight hours, and I had explored every last inch of it. I felt like I hardly had room to breathe. It was like, hello, claustrophobia? It's me, Max. Now I was being forced to witness Dr. Amazing's brain at work, as Fang paid attention to her every word. Which is why we have to go around the islands to get to the area where the fish die-off was observed, said Captain Perry. Right now, we're passing the Molokini Crater, which is a big sea-like preservation area. Huh, I said. We were in a large tin can under 600 feet of water, and I couldn't escape. I was starting to feel dizzy. Was the sub running out of air? Where did we get air from, anyway? We needed to surface. We needed to surface and- Max, go lie down. You're having a panic attack. What? I thought wildly. You're having a panic attack, the voice went on. Go lie down on your bunk and slowly breathe in and out. Uh, I'm tired, I mumbled. I think I'll go rest. I stumbled out of the situation room and staggered down the narrow corridor, squeezing past sailors. I felt like I might pass out any second. Every cell in my body wanted to get off this sub. Even knowing that it was the only way to rescue my mom didn't make it any better. I've been locked in cells and dungeons and dog crates and never panicked like this. You're okay, said the voice soothingly. Go lie down. There's plenty of air. I fumbled my way into the small storeroom that had been turned into our bunk room. Inside, I collapsed on one of the bottom bunks, trying not to throw up. A minute later, the door pushed open. Nudge, I croaked, my hand over my mouth. Nope, said Total, trotting up to my bunk. He had a cold, wet washcloth in his mouth, and he put his front paws on my bunk and dropped it on my face. It felt incredible. Then he nimbly jumped up on the narrow bunk and curled up by my feet. 
I pressed the wet cloth into my face and tried to breathe in and out slowly, just like the voice had told me. I moaned softly, suddenly overwhelmed by my life. You'll get your sea legs soon, Total said. Or we can rustle you up some Valium or something. No! The only time I'd had Valium was when my mom gave me some during an operation to take a chip out of my wrist. Long story. In my hazy stupor, I'd said all sorts of stupid, embarrassing things. There was no way I was going to do that again. Suit yourself, said Total, pushing my legs over to give him some more room. Listen, Max, while I have you here. Trapped in my bunk with a panic attack, I said. Yeah. Anyway, I've been meaning to talk to you, he went on. Oh, this was going to be good. What would it be now? Sub Chow not up to snuff? Lattes not available? Had he encountered more discrimination against canine Americans? It's about Aquila. I lowered the washcloth and peeked at Total with one eye. Yeah? You miss her, huh? It's more than that. Total licked one paw, collecting his thoughts. It's... you know I'm nuts about her. Uh-huh. Nuts being the operative word here. Amazingly, she feels the same way about a mutt like me, Total said. Well, now we're thinking about... marriage. He sort of mumbled out the last word. I sat up, eyes wide, swallowing my shocked laughter. This wasn't funny. It was cute, but not funny. Total's feelings were real, even though he was a... Canine American. Marriage? I said. Yeah. Total flopped down and dripped his head over my ankles. I know we're just two crazy kids. How can we possibly make it work? She's a dedicated career dog. How could I ever expect her to settle down, raise a few litters? And me? I'm a flying, talking dog. I'll only make her life more difficult, no matter where we go or what we do. I knew how he felt, only too well. Reaching out, I scratched his head between his ears, the way he likes. Also, how could I ever leave you guys? He said, his black eyes sad. I know how much you depend on me. How could I ever leave you to fend for yourselves? Um, I said, but he interrupted me. But Akila can't fly. How can she come with us? She's 80 pounds of gorgeous, long-legged purebreed, but she can't fly. His voice broke. I'll tell you, Max. This has been keeping me up at night. I haven't been able to eat for days. I'd heard him snoring just yesterday, when we'd been waiting for the sub, and I've never known him to miss a meal. But I knew what he meant. For once, I didn't have any answers. I was having a hard enough time with my own ridiculous romantic life, much less being able to worry about anyone else's. Total, if you decide to stay with Akila, Well, you saw Hanaj made that hard decision. I saw something written on a t-shirt once. It went, If you love something, let it go. If it comes back, it's yours. If we, the flock, have to let you go, we'll somehow make that sacrifice. No, no, Max. I couldn't ask that of you, he said. I wouldn't leave you in the lurch like that. 
I just wish, well, I wish life was perfect and love was easy. He sighed. Me too, Total. Me too. I was already old enough to know that neither option was possible. Not for Total, and not for me. Chapter 51 It took 12 hours to go a distance that we could have flown in about 6 minutes. Let's stop for a second and give thanks to the mad scientist that decided to graft us with bird DNA, instead of, say, the DNA of a clam or a squid. Our sub went between the islands of Maui and Hawaii, and then surfaced, right offshore from the Heakala National Park. Of course, as soon as I heard the sub-wide command of, surfacing, I dashed up to the ladder that led to the upper hatch. I was the second one out, gulping in lungfuls of fresh, balmy salt air. I turned to Captain Perry, who joined me up on deck, along with John Abate and Bridget Doyer. So, how come we're here? I asked him. We're picking up a marine biologist, Captain Perry explained. A colleague of ours, said John. She specializes in bony fish, which are mostly what the dead groups have consisted of. Ah, here she comes now. A short, tan woman with gray hair and a long braid came hurrying down the dock. In the distance, I could see a bunch of kids, who just disembarked from a school bus with Friedmont Middle School on the side. Gaping at the nuclear sub, that had suddenly surfaced so near the entrance to a national park. Hello, the woman called cheerfully. Aloha. Aloha, said Captain Perry respectfully. Noalani, it's good to see you again, said John, giving her a hug. He turned to me. Max, this is Dr. Noalani Akana. She knows these waters like you know junk food, and she can help us. Hi, I said. Deciding whether to be offended by the junk food comment. Ah, Max, she said in a pretty sing-song voice. I guess she was a native Hawaiian. Her bright black eyes looked over me shrewdly, but not in an unfriendly way. Max, the miracle bird girl. Uh, that's one name for me, I said awkwardly. Dr. Akana broke into a sunny smile. I can't wait to see the others. All right, Captain, let's get this ship underwater. With quick, efficient movements, she tossed her duffel bag down the hatch, then slid down the ladder rails. John, grinning, followed her. Captain Perry looked at me and motioned at the hatch. How about I just fly overhead and meet you there? I said. Okay, the captain said easily, surprising me. How long can you hover without landing on anything? Uh, I guess about eight hours, I said, knowing it would be a stretch, and that I'd totally be exhausted and starving by the end of it. Captain Perry waited. Okay, fine, I said, heading toward the hatch. I hate it when a grown-up actually calls my bluff. Of course, this was pretty much the first time, so I don't have to deal with it too often. You know, we can get you some Valium or something, he offered following me. No! I gritted my teeth and began to climb down the ladder. Why does everyone keep wanting to drug a child? Dr. Okana was waiting at the bottom of the ladder, and she clapped her hands as if she were organizing a party game. Okay, we're going closer to where the attacks took place. Then stop about 60 meters deep. Then we'll go on a field trip. Let me put my stuff down and I'll get ready. 
She headed off to the quarters she'd share with the female crew members. I felt a surge of excitement. At last, we were on our way. I had to get into battle mode, make sure the others were ready for the traditional fighting-to-the-death scenario. The Navy wanted to make sure we could defend ourselves, but they'd never really seen us in action. For the first time ever, I wondered if we had what it would take. Mr. Chu and his dumb bots, I was pretty sure we could handle. But sea monsters? Mountains that came out of the water to kill a hundred thousand fish? That was a completely different picture. I needed a plan B. Frowning, I made my way into the belly of the ship to find Gazi. Chapter 52 There's only room for three, I told Angel, who was getting that mutinous look on her face. I should go, because I might hear something, she said, crossing her arms over her chest. By hear? I knew she meant telepathically pick up on something, like the fish thinking little bubbly fish thoughts. Ooh, plankton, or whatever. It's too dangerous, I said firmly, which was pretty much the lamest argument I could have come up with, given the sheer amount of completely death-defying stuff we did on a routine basis. Max. She looked at me and I remembered that she could also put thoughts into people's heads. Don't make me wish I was wearing a tinfoil hat, I warned her. Look, the crewman has to go, because he knows how to drive the little sub, and Dr. Okana has to go, because she knows what the heck we'll be looking at, and I have to go because A, I'm the leader, right? And B, it's my mom we're looking for, and C, because I said so. You dig? I crossed my arms too and frowned down at her, something that's always worked in the past, but I doubted it would for much longer. Angel dear, you're only six, Dr. O'Connor said kindly. Seven, Angel said obstinately. When did you turn seven? Oh, never mind, I said, getting exasperated. None of us knows when our actual birthdays are, so we each made up one for ourselves. So we each made up one for ourselves. Years ago, I had put my foot down about only getting one birthday a year, because Gazi kept trying to capitalize on presents. But actually, we really don't keep track of them too well. I'm seven. Angel looked like a bulldozer wouldn't budge her. Fine then, I'm seventeen, I said. You're not going. The little sub in question was a three-person thingy that looked kind of like a large pool float with a bubble on top. It could go down to 100 meters, about 300 feet. Our big daddy sub could go down about 1,000 meters, and I practically expected to see foot pedals sticking out the bottom. The only reason I was willing to get in it was because of the plexiglass dome on top that you could see out of. Our current sub had no windows. I repeat, no windows. Zero. Zip. Nada. That was because the space between the outer hole and the inner hole was full of water. That was because the space between the outer hole and the inner hole was full of water when the sub was submerged, and full of air when it surfaced. A window would have had to have been about a foot thick. Instead, the crew viewed the outside on little TV screens, from cameras located on the sub's exterior. But now, I had a chance to be in a big bubble and see what's going on. Anything would be better than being stuck in here. I rubbed my hands together. Let's do it. Ten minutes later, a bottom hatch slowly opened and we dropped into the deep ocean. There wasn't much light, but because the water around Hawaii is so clear, it wasn't totally pitch dark, 
even at 60 meters deep. Then the crewmen turned on the headlights. It was amazing. Our own underwater show. Above us was the enormous USS Minnesota. We were chugging up from under it, thank God. But the fish. The fish were everywhere. All sizes. Moving slowly through the water. That's a yellowfin tuna, said Dr. O'Connor. They can grow to more than seven feet long. What's that one? I said, pointing to a huge silver hubcap with orange vents. That's an appa, said the crewman. They're good eaten. It's almost as big as me, I said. I'm sure it weighs more, Dr. O'Connor said with a smile. Look, there's a turtle. Sure enough, a turtle about the size of a standard poodle swam by, looking totally unconcerned about our sub. Everything moves so slowly underwater, I said. In addition to the fish that caught our attention because they were the size of sofas, we were surrounded by hundreds of thousands of smaller fish, in every shape and color combination you could imagine, and some you couldn't. Not everything. These fish can dart away in an instant if danger's near, said Dr. Akana. Now, we're still about six miles away from where the first fish kill was spotted, but I wanted to check out... Her words were swallowed by a gasp. <gasps> oh my god! What's that? My head whipped to where she was staring, and I sucked in a fast breath. No. I thought. Not this. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Maximoid bootleg audiobook podcast thing. I am your Olive at Marky, and I don't have any announcements for this week, uh, so I am going to jump into the recommendation for this week. This week's recommendation is the anime My Roommate is a Cat. This one has been on my list for a while, just because I thought the title was really cute, but I hadn't like read anything about it. But uh, I super enjoyed it. It's about this guy whose parents died. It's not spoilers, it, it's literally the first thing that happens in the show. But he's always been kind of a loner, but without his parents, he's not exactly sure what to do. Uh, but he is an author, and after his parents died, he became even more of a recluse. So he, like, never leaves his house or anything, never does any, like, book signings, just basically, like, calls his editor, tells them everything he needs, and then just stays at his house. But he was visiting his parents' grave when a little cat jumped up and stole some of the food that he was offering to them. And that gave him a really great idea for a novel. So he decided to take the kitten home to see if she could inspire him more. The first half of the episode is told through the point of view of the guy whose name is Subaru. And the second half is told through the cat's point of view, which is super, super cute. Oh my gosh, it reminds me so much of my cat. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of about two desperately lonely people question mark that uh, like really needed each other, and it's it's so sweet. I cried so much; it was really good. It's only about twelve episodes long too. Uh, I will put a link to the my anime list listing for it. Uh, I watched it on Crunchyroll. I'm not sure what other places you can watch it though. But that is the anime, My Roommate is a Cat. Alrighty, if you want to leave me a rating review, that would be super cool of you to do. And if you want to get in contact with me, you can email me at MaximumCrimePod at gmail.com 
or hit me up on my Tumblr over at maximum-crime-pod. Oh, uh, quick addendum. Also, uh, if any of you are doing Art Fight this year, I'm also doing Art Fight. Uh, if you want to attack me, I am going to try to revenge everybody who does it this year. So you should hit me up. I will leave a link to my profile also in the show notes. Uh, I'm Avian Dalek there, like I am in most places. So yeah, that, that'll be fun. Alrighty, I think that's all I got to say for this time. So until next time, fly on. <laughs>